episode two. You survived the first one. And amazingly, we didn't kill each other in the process of the first one. The cats didn't get us either. Cats didn't get us either. <laughs> or the heater. Or the heater. HVAC system. But we got fatter for this one. Yes. That that would be the voice of the hedgehog. Are you so, going by hedgehog? Yes, he's going by hedgehog tonight. Fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> I made an executive decision. Right. He's going by hedgehog. All right. Yes, we have added hedgehog for the evening. This is probably going to be a permanent thing. We'll see how he does tonight. See if he can hang. Hopefully he'll show up for the next one. Maybe. Well... If you're the chauffeur, you will. <laughs> That's true. I mean, you are chaperoning him. I, you know, I did also say there was pizza and beer. So that did nice. actually help out bringing him out because, anyway. Yeah. So he actually paid for the second pizza. Hey, hey, sweet. Even better. But we're actually at my apartment now because now we're not going to have to worry about HVAC system sounds and cat meowing. Yeah, talk so, to the cat. Well, yeah. Well, then you're a hedgehog. Hedgehogs don't make noise. <laughs> Unless you, run in, unless you run into something and all your rings explode and run away. <laughs> so anyway, welcome back to Wingman's Garage. Uh, this is Chris. Over there is... Hedgehog, you're jumping in. Come oh. on, man. You're killing me here. <laughs> Dude, this is not a silent thing. You have to... Oh, my God. I'm done with There's no subtitles popping up there. So to my left, we've got... Tyler. Tyler. Also known as Hedgehog. And walking in the door, Sometimes we've got not yet going. another person here. We have the girlfriend. <laughs> Woohoo! Woo-hoo! She's back from work. Anyway. Yep, pretty much. Pretty much. And we have the pretty boy Daniel in the middle. Yep, in the middle. At my apartment, because I got to pick the chairs. Anyway. <laughs> hey, if you hear that, that's somebody dropping a pile driver in my, my building. <laughs> like I said, somebody's dropping a pile driver. I don't know what that is. That's but not a sexual reference at all. Oh, it might be. Who knows? Anyway, let's start right in there and let's do uh, it. Hedgehog introduce himself. I am the Hedgehog. I run at super fast sonic speed. No, you don't. Don't lie. I try. <laughs> he is actually wearing blue, though. He is wearing blue. I will give you that. <laughs> no red shoes. No red shoes, and he doesn't have gold rings. So if I yeah. stuck my hair up, I'd have a pretty mean mohawk. It would be a pretty mean mohawk. I will give you that. <laughs> so. uh... Work in a bike shop, like pretty much all of us Like have, the rest all of us have, yeah. Right. Another <laughs> normal guy, just like everybody else. I have 500 million nicknames. So Define normal for this guy. It doesn't <laughs> exist. I know it doesn't. Anyway, just... Normal people scare me. Yes. <laughs> I ride a 2013 Ducati Monster 1100 Evo, which I love. It's currently my favorite bike I've ever owned. And I am not gay. Daniel. <laughs> 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 anyway, sorry. No one said anything. <laughs> I like going entirely too fast and talking about random bullshit. You will fit in just fine. Just perfectly fine, right here. Well. All right. Well, that being said, introductions aside, we have, of course, Hedgehog here now. Let's get right into it. Go the ahead. Pizza, we have no, not the pizza. Hush, y'all keep talking. I'll be back in a second. All right. Going off of uh, something we saw on one of our friends' websites here talking about the upcoming bikes in 2016 and what they were looking into, uh, most excited about coming. Let's talk a little bit about what we think is going to be some of the coolest, most insane bikes of the year to us. And of course, we're going to cut this down. We're going to do five apiece. Uh, I'm actually going to let Daniel start off here. Daniel, what's your top five? My top five coming this year? Yes. Um, I'm excited for 
And as much as I bagged on that bike last podcast, mm-hmm. I am excited for the MT-01. Or the FZ-01, whatever we're going to call it here in the States. That new Yamaha Super Naked. Right. I am actually excited about that bike. It's ugly, it but ugly any, anything naked and cross-plane crank thousand is going to be fun. Uh, it might be 175 horsepower and you know 85 pound-feet of torque, but whatever. Um, I am excited about that. I am really actually excited about the new BMW Scrambler coming. Oh, the the, uh, the R9T, right? the lower spec, lower budget uh, version of it. I'm keeping up with the red bike. Well, you know what? I'm not worried about keeping up with the red bike because <laughs> the red bike won't last as long. Um, but we will talk enough crap about bikes here in a little bit. This is going to be entertaining. Y'all are going to have some fun. Um, just because it's a lower spec R9T, and as much as a hit as the R9T was for BMW, the Scrambler is going to be probably a little bit bigger hit because the price point is going to be lower due to non-upside-down forks. It'll be right way up forks. The suspension is going to be a little bit less. The wheels are going to be cast and not spokes, so that's going to be a little bit less expensive to deal with. They're going to have the motor and all the customization possibilities of like the, that the R9T has. Which was but, also just a cool which was, bike as it is. It's just a cool bike as it is, but... It's going to be entertaining, to say the least, to see what people do with a lower price point. Right. Those are two. Um, that Monster 1200R. Right. Because the 1200S came out is from the reviews I've read and from what I've seen, it's a little bit more Diablo than Panigale. Right. Exactly. Than Panigale. So I'm like, I'm really excited to see what they do with that. Um, we'll see one on the track eventually, and I'll get to play with whoever if they're in the particular class that I'm in. I have a feeling that a Hedgehog is a lot more to elaborate on that profile. Yeah, he'll talk about it ad nauseum. <laughs> we'll be all right. Um, that bike, and then I'm actually, again, it's another one of those where I, yeah, I didn't really care, but the Scr- Scrambler 400 is coming. Yeah. The, that seems like it's going to be a fun little bike. or something? No, that's the uh, Triumph. Oh. The Or no, that's the Ducati 62. Yeah. The Triumph, yeah. the, the Speed Twin is the lower version yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, the 62 looks cool. Just It's going to be a neat little fun little go-around-town bike you can screw around on and not really worry about hurting yourself too bad. Exactly. And then that new Thruxton R. Yes. Oh, my God, that bike is gorgeous. Absolutely. That bike is going to be fun. That's a track-ready cafe racer. 1,200cc, parallel twin, Olin's all the way through. That could open up a whole new class of either track day bikes, club race bikes, they had the Thruxton Cup there for a while. Oh, they're they still running that. They're, I think they're running it in Arma, but I haven't uh, Yeah, they're still running it in Arma. The 1200R Thruxton looks like it could be a lot of fun on a racetrack. Right. That would be a lot of fun. And then it opens up because you know how cafe racers are the hot thing right now. You look at it, this, the whole cafe racer fad right now seems to me to be the chopper fad of 2003 to 2006. Exactly. Okay. It's exploded. Everybody wants a cafe bike. Everybody wants scramblers, this, that, and the other thing. Because you can pick up base bikes for $500 and then throw about another 1000 or 1200 bucks yeah, in it. Not for much longer. Not, no, not for much longer. But you'll see a lot, and it's fueled by artists and architects and engineers that are bored and everything else with money. Right. So we'll see how it goes. That's my five. Yeah, and something on the uh, the chopper fad thing. I feel like 
you definitely got a point there. I think everybody got sick of their constant um, spinal tap procedures that were going on from uh, riding around on those bare bones bikes all the time. That and I think everybody so, got tired of American Chopper. Yeah, maybe hang, right. hanging up the jean leg guys. and the, the yeah. belt driven open primaries and. Oh gosh! It just <laughs> everyone's choppers started to look the same. Theme bikes here. I mean, it's like okay, so you got a Coca Cola chopper now. Now you got a John Deere chopper. I was waiting on a Goldfish one, <laughs> right? <laughs> Complete with built-in Goldfish bowl. That would have been fun. I would have bought that. True. Imagine Especially if it came I'm not worried about it. If I'm buying that bike, I don't have to worry about trying to keep fish alive. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> oh, I was thinking of trying to eat. But. That's what I was going for, the Pepperidge Farm goldfish. <laughs> oh, oh, that's the gotcha. gold. That's that. It's like that UPS donk that runs around <laughs> Nashville, right? <laughs> but anyway, um, that's my five that I'm excited about. Um, well, since Chris started with everybody on the spot, Chris, what about yeah, your, your five? turn? All right, for 2016, I'm looking forward to a couple of bikes that are all a little bit different. Um. You know, we got the ZX10 that's come out, and we'll talk about that one later because yep. Daniel actually sat down on it at the dealership. You and, did you know, too. I did too, but anyway, I'm always sitting on it. You are always sitting on it. It's different. You put um, it in the, the bottom of the tank, but we won't go there. Right. So let's start off with, uh, you know, what is one of the classic bikes for the era, um, the Speed Triple. 2016 Triumphs redesigned the Speed Triple yet again, and I absolutely love it. Everything about the new Speed Triple. Uh, again, the engine's been phenomenal from way back when. The frame's just gotten better and better. Suspension's getting better. I think the last generation lost a lot of people with the very boot-tastic shape of the headlights. Uh, Who doesn't like boobs? I really like boobs. I mean, it, just, it was the cat-eyed glasses. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. <laughs> They're kind of similar this year, but completely different, and it just looks absolutely gorgeous. Um, I will say this. The Speed Triple is probably one of the only bikes Chris hasn't owned. That's not true. I did own one. Did you own one? I owned a 2007. Oh, so you owned the 1050. 1050. Gotcha. Okay. I used to work on them if that counts for anything. Yeah. That's probably the reason why you haven't owned one here. (laughs) (laughs) I can't say anything. Triumph's gotten a lot better than when I worked with them. They've improved a lot throughout the years. Uh, my next bike for 2016, um, have a, a different variation of one of my personal favorite bikes. Uh, it is a red bike. It's oh, the Lord. X-Diablo. Uh, the Italian know, V-Rod. The Italian V-Rod. The Diablo kind of was one of those bikes where, what is it? Is it a cruiser? Is it a sporty bike? Is it just a badass monster? Is it the V-Max done right? Yeah, kind of. No. V-Max is a great bike for what it is. Now, the X-Diablo is more of a cruiser, even than even the Diablo is, belt-driven, redesigned from the ground up. I will say this, a Diablo on a racetrack will embarrass people. Absolutely. I had a guy come past me on a Diablo, went to 45, 46 degree the lean, and checked out. And I was sitting there going, what just happened? Right. <laughs> so now the X-Diablo, just a little more feet forward, same bikes. They say 40 degrees of lean in it. I don't know if I want to be at 40 degrees. My now, didn't they, probably not. Didn't they extend the uh, swing arm a little bit on they this did. one? It's a touch they longer. Um, they are actually going after the V-Rod market because your Harley owners, 90, well, 60% of your V-Rod owners mm-hmm. own something other than a Harley. Yes. It's, that's the great equalizer with Harley as a brand. 
where your V-Rod guys are more into everything as opposed to just what your, the hard. Just what your air-cooled guys are running. Right. Because it's a low rider or a air ridge or something. Yeah. But soft which yeah, soft whatever. it's whatever. It's whatever floats your boat. We're equal opportunity riders here. We don't care. Right. But your V Rod owners are the guys that also own a sport bike or a couple of track bikes in the garage. Yes. And a dirt bike and an adventure bike to go back and forth and work on. Which again, so, we'll talk about the Harley generation later. But not generation. Yeah, there's a whole well, no, genre. No, there's a generation Is there? that that's changed a lot. We'll talk yeah, about we'll that in a later that. podcast. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Because the Typical Harley guy has changed a lot. Oh, yeah. Yes. So we'll talk about the Harley generation later. Uh, but X Diablo, I'm actually kind of excited. I'd still rather have a just X Diablo. I'm looking at you, Ducati. Hello? Hit me up. Um, they don't care. No, they don't. Not yet. No. But I still would like to ride an X Diablo just because. You throw one of those at me, I'll love it all day long. Um, next up is going to uh, the orange team that I don't usually mention just because... I hear a lot about me. it in the off-road world, and that's not my world. But we're talking about KTM. Uh, we touched on the Super Duke in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got the Super Duke GT coming out this year, which is honestly, like they had said, Super Duke's supposed to be the ultimate touring bike, or not touring bike, but commuting bike. I think the GT is more of a fairing, a little more touring-oriented. Still all the attitude of the Super Duke just... They're going after the S1000... XR. They're going off to the XR and also the Multistrada. And the Multistrada and what's the other hot one? I don't remember. I'll do it later. Uh, maybe not quite Multistrada-ish, but it's close. Uh, that one looks kind of cool. Um, the new bike that, of all people, to bring out, Honda, uh, is the Africa Twin, the CR1000. I completely forgot about that bike. Yep, that's come out, and everything I've seen about it, Sounds, again, take it with a grain of salt. These are guys getting paid to review these things. Yeah. Um, usually in their favor. But, I mean, watching everyone go out and actually ride this Well, thing, watching Marquez ride anything is fun well, to yeah, a point. That's but, true, too, but we're not going to talk about Marquez Yeah, we'll leave that alone, too. Uh, the Africa Twin actually does look pretty interesting, and I actually almost think I'd want one. That, again, I completely forgot about that bike. That's going after the Tiger. Yep, after the, the Tiger, Tiger and the Yamaha well, Super Tenere. Yeah. The uh, Tenere, that's not really in the same market. The Tenere is cool, but yeah. that's too much of a they're, – they're going after the hardcore GS buyers. But right. Well, they're going after the guys who actually attend on the ADV riding and actually going out and riding these things in the surf. Yeah. Which, you know, everything I've seen, it looks like it does well, even with the dual-clutch transmission, which I think is the weirdest thing ever. Well, the, dual clutch, the, dual, the way the dual-clutch trans works, for those of, for people who don't know what a dual-clutch trans works, you've got a clutch for gears 1, 3, and 5, and 2, 4, and 6. That way, when you shift, it's instantaneous. That's why when you see a lot of these dual-clutch cars, like a GTR or all your high-end performance cars, heck, my, my GTI's got one. It shifts a lot faster. It's a lot more direct, and they take a lot of punishment. So anything with a dual-clutch trans is going to be a little bit easier for the end user that is not a professional road racer right. or professional off-road racer or something like that, that you have to have the clutch to feather it out to help control tension on a chain and everything else. Which, again, this is why Honda brought that dual-clutch transmission out for the NC700. And, again, that the, if more technology trickles down, like we're seeing at CES, we'll get into that later, but um, the more the more technology like that trickles down, is only going to make it better for us. Right. So, I still just 
you know, again, I'm not an off-road guy. Maybe Hedgehog can add some of this uh, into it. Yeah. I mean, the thought of using a dual-clutch transmission, basically an automatic mm-hmm. off-road. A uh, horrible idea, in my personal opinion. I'm sure there's some guys out there that, mm-hmm. that would uh, disagree with me on that, that statement, and, and it would probably have its place. But um, just coming from a mostly motocross background, uh, I've gotten a lot more into endurance and woods riding in the past uh, few years. Um, that I think there's just a lot of situations. Um, you know, we've got the recluse, and I think that is kind of, for the most part, the best of both worlds that you can have right now. Uh, it, it has an anti-stall, so you know if you, if you are in a slower section, you're not absolutely killing your arm with arm pump trying to work that clutch, especially if you're going up a hill or something. Um, and then at the same time, you know, as you're going through the gears, uh, similar to putting a quick shifter on a sport bike, um, you're able to shift uh, really with as little uh, clutch input as possible. Then when you get in those tricky situations where again you want to, you know, you're coming out of a corner and you need to get that extra drive and you need to get those RPMs up. Uh, you still have that functionality of the clutch to slip it a little bit and get it where you're going to get that, that Which drive. Is, you know, kind of one of those things, watching Ari Henning uh, ride this thing in uh, South Africa. Yeah. Um, that was one of the things he had problems with when he wanted to actually spin the rear wheel. Could it? Actually, I want people to see him dropping the bike because of that. Uh, but anyways. But then time out. For those of us playing the home game, who are in the planet who are going to buy this bike are ever going to get to that point. Right. You know, most of the people that buy this, they're going to be your usual GS guy who goes a little bit off-road. Yeah. But no one's going to expect to get to work off racing. No. I mean, if you're going to do... If you're doing you hard, might want to try it. But. Well, if you're doing <laughs> hardcore off-road off-road stuff, you're going to look at a 450. Right. Or a uh, 250F. That's, or if you're an orange bike guy, you're going to get a 300XC, whatever the two-stroke 300 is. Right. So... Yeah. This looks like to be something that's Honda's trying to go after. Again, it's tough to go after to try and get into the BMW GS market because the GS has been going since 1980. Right. And really, the GS is the only true competition that I can even think of is the KTM. That new adventure, that super adventure, which... I mean, hell, the 990 adventures have been... The 990 adventures have always been fantastic. The motors are are great. The problem with the KTM Adventure is they've always been priced a little bit out of the market. Right. Just a touch. Because you can get in there and you can get on the BMW, and whereas the BMWs, you can fix, almost take down the frame mm-hmm. and fix what you need to fix with the toolkit, KTMs are a lot more complicated. The air-cooled BMW boxers are, they're about as complicated as a mousetrap. Whereas the KTM stuff, you've got three different oil filters with motor. Right. Uh, two, excuse me. And, you know, they're great. KTM makes the best adventure bikes in a 690. Yep. The 690 adventure they had is phenomenal. Utterly fantastic. The 625, I'm too short for that bike. Like, seriously. I had to test ride and get, I had to get the glaze off the tires off of one <laughs> when I was still working at the KTM dealership. I, I was pulling up to a red I was pulling up to a lights praying that they didn't go red because I had to stop. I'm literally my right my my right foot is off the peg and hanging off and my the back the back of my knee is caught under the seat so I can put my left foot down and hold myself up. Right. I'm getting honks and people are laughing at me, which is it was a pretty funny picture, I will say that. But it's it's just I I can't write it. Alright, let's complete the image for you all. Daniel, how tall are you? I'm five seven. Alright. So there you go. 
tall ass bike for it's a very tall bike. It's a twenty one inch front and a nineteen inch rear with memories. about uh, <laughs> two feet of suspended draft. It's insane. I didn't like Daniel. I'm, I'm five foot eight. So, yeah. Um, riding 450 motocross bikes and such, uh, I'm very uh, keen to the situation of only being able to get one foot down on the ground. Yeah. Um, but this this brings back memories. Talk about the triumph of the uh, was it the 1050? Yeah, Tiffany Tiger. Tiger. Yeah, it was out. Super super tall bike. And I remember when I worked for Triumph, and I, anytime I had to ride one of those things, I used to take off and I'd put my right foot on the peg. I'd start up the bike and I'd give it a push and get going. I'd let the clutch out and let the bike start pulling itself. Almost like you're going to get hop on side saddle, and then once I got rolling, I'd throw my leg over the bike and then take off riding. And I'll say this: that 1050 Tiger's nuts. That bike is awesome. A little ugly, in my in my opinion, obviously, but yeah. Uh, yeah. But it, it was a very phenomenal bike, and I think all they did was improve on it. Cool had. thing about that bike is you do the space, you get some, you either make some spacers, or you get some custom spacers made. 675 Daytona wheels fit in. So you you don't have to spend. Fifteen hundred to three grand on some lightweight wheels. You can just find some on eBay for six hundred bucks. You've got lightweight wheels on a ten fifty Tiger, and you're laughing and grinning while your buddies on a six seventy five can't keep up with you on a bumpy back road, right? And at the same time, if you spend three grand on another set of wheels for a Tiger, they're not going to be as durable if you do. You still, you just spent three grand on a set of wheels for a Triumph Tiger. Right. All right, let's uh, move on here. Yeah. Number five in my list, uh, kind of an unusual bike, which I don't think very many of us are going to buy. I'm not talking about the RC from 13. Talk about the uh, Energica Ego. The See, electric. that's the problem. It's not the, the problem. The problem is not that it's electric. No, no, no. Electric okay. has a lot of benefits. The problem I have with it is that it's electric and Italian. Ha! I'm sorry. <laughs> when have you ever had anything that's Italian electric work? I guess that depends. Has it got Siemens Electronics or Magnetia Morelli? Yeah, it's the, well, it depends. As long as it's not Lucas. Oh, God. That's for the darkness. Yeah. Literally. I'm pretty right. sure if a Lucas headlight, if I had a Lucas headlight, I'd put a candle on the front and make it better. Right. Um, well, you know, I, I was really interested in Moto Scissors when they were developing their electric bike. I'm not quite sure where they've fallen, but I know right now Mike's got the lead as far as a true sport bike. Scissors has cancer. Michael says has cancer. That's yeah. why it's kind of falling off, and he's kind of yeah, battling that right now. But, hope you yeah, get better, Mike, because we need you in the industry. Yeah. We, we, we need you on the planet. Yes, because you're things just, you have done. You are a past, fantastic human yes. being, and the stuff that you've done, if you've never watched Charge, mm-hmm. I think it might still be on Netflix, but if it it's is. not, it's on iTunes. Watch it. It's utterly amazing what this guy has gone through and the amount of money he put, his own money he put I into mean, that bike. Back when he was developing thing. a true super bike, Oh, too. gosh. Oh, yeah, that yeah. Sys one for the GT oh, yeah. thing. Yeah. But that bike's gorgeous, and I have a, an acquaintance that wrote it, Mark Miller. He won the 2010 Isle of Man on it, and I'm sorry. That bike looked fantastic. It looks so different than anything else. Because everybody else still has that weird thing. Like, it has to look like this. Right. They made it look something different and futuristic. And it makes it makes spaceship sounds when it comes past. It sounds like a TIE fighter going past. Right. Awesome. But in all honesty, I, I that Lightning 213 or whatever it is, mm-hmm. that thing's cool. True. I'm all in on a Lightning 213 if I can but, spend 40 grand on right. a like Well, that, I mean, I could go on and on about different bikes. That oh, yeah. It would be virtually unobtainable to stop. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you know, the Energica, I just think it's cool. They've gotten the, a true sport bike set up. Again, Brambos, they've, they've got their impulse that they've been talking about for years. It's cool, but it's more of that cafe racer. They've got 
Polaris backing now, though. They do. Because Victory has them now, and they're working on it. Victory bought all of the motorcycle stuff yep. of Brambo. So they've got big Polaris money behind them now. Oh, yeah. and you know, so, I'm not a huge fan of Polaris, but what they do in the motorcycle world, I mean, they've got the money. Three years from now, Victory's going to be a completely different brand. Oh, yeah. They're already working on several different concepts. Several different concepts. The combustion. Oh. If they come out with next, a... I think, I think the combustion just got released. That's a very cool... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Store. I'm waiting on them to do an actual version of that Roland Sands bike, bike speed bike. Hell, yeah. Um, actually, that being said, I believe the combustion is being powered by the same engine that ran the bike. It is the same uh, motor. Of, of five it is the same motor, but it's more of a V-Rod... Power Cruiser VMAX looking thing. Yeah. I want something that looks like it's got rear sets on it. It's got a wide bar on it. I want something that looks like a flat tracker from hell. Right. right. That's what I want. But uh, anyway. But that finishes up my top five. So Hedgehog. Hedgehog gets to do his top five. All right. Well, on my top five, I already say. <clears throat> the unfortunate thing about going last is sometimes you have a couple repeats on your list. Ah, he'll get over it. I'm pretty sure with therapy, they'll learn to forgive you. But it happens. <clears throat> it happens. If not, I'll give you the name of my therapist. No, actually, on second thought, you should probably not use mine. Uh, Daniel or uh, Chris could probably give you one that would be a little better. So, to start off my list, um, for 2016, the bikes that I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'll do a quick run through here. Obviously, if you don't already know, uh, or couldn't tell by what bike I ride, I'm a Ducati fanboy. I like the color red. I really like the color yellow, so Ducati, if you Wait, are you listening... tell me not to call you a Ducati fanboy? Ignore He's that last Ducati comment. <laughs> so Ducati, if you are listening, which I'm sure you're not yet, but if you go back in the archives when we blow up, don't forget me. Please, please, please. Don't forget any of Bring back yellow. We miss it. It was a great color. It's like Ferrari. I mean, I understand red is the main color, but the yellow looks great. So that being said, of course, my number one bike probably that I'm looking forward to of 2016 is the... Monster 1200R. Um, again, I ride, the, I ride the 1100 Evo, uh, 2013, since so last year they made it. Um, it is a phenomenal bike. Um, it is a very compact riding position, uh, especially when you compare that to the new 1200. That being said, I would be a fool if I didn't agree that the 1200 does everything my bike does better. Uh, but it does not quite have that old-school Ducati flair that mine does. Um, and for that, I don't think I could give up my bike for one. I think I'd have to add to it. What kind of um, are you talking about? Here? I think the biggest things, uh, one, which, and again, it, it's, it's also the things that a lot of Ducati or people that ride Ducatis end up complaining about, uh, and that's things like around 2,500 RPMs riding through the city, it is like holding on to a bron bucking Bronco. Um, they do not like to be ridden softly. They want throttle wide open at all times. Like in Aprilia. If not, again, you will learn very quickly um, that uh, they like to throw you forwards into your handlebars a lot if you're not paying attention. So, <clears throat> uh, other thing is, obviously being an air-cooled motor, mine gets really, really hot. Um, I've ridden other bikes that aren't quite as bad. Some of the fared Ducatis are honestly worse because you don't get the extra little bit of air coming around you. Um, but I, I will say that that new 1200 with the air-cooled, or excuse me, water-cooled engine uh, has, has definitely helped tame that down a little bit. You're still sitting right on top of a cylinder head, so, you know, don't think it's going to be like, like riding a Honda. But, um, but that bike, you know, you took my bike, had 100 horsepower. I've got the Terminoni exhaust on it. Uh, 
with the DP Performance ECU, and I think I'm seeing about 117 horsepower right now. Um, the new 1200 jumped that to 145, and when we jump to the R, it brings over a few extra components off of the uh, borrowed Diablo. That, Which looks a whole lot like a Diablo. And, and it, I've sat on one, and the position is very similar, though I will say if you get off of it and get on the Diablo, you will definitely realize that it is still definitely more sport-oriented. Um, but they brought the cams over, I believe, off of the Diablo. Um, they've given it a little bit closer to the power that the Diablo's actually making. So it's a claimed 163 horsepower, I do believe. And with that, um, I mean, if you've ridden a monster, you can only imagine how phenomenal this new bike is going to feel, especially when it comes to the power. But and it's still a monster. And uh, we talked about that. You know, is it a motorcycle or is it a fashion accessory? Well, I mean, I have a big shiny gold watch. <laughs> You're not fake. helping your court, your, uh, your point here. But no, I, I will say this. I, I'm a monster fan. I do yes. like monsters. They have a place, for sure. They have a definite place. It's a very good back road scratching bike. It's a very good um, go out and just fart around and just be a hooligan. But it's not a good it, – after some work, it's a fantastic track bike, but you got to put some work in it. I will say, and I'll, I'll finish up on the monster here, but um, – a lot of people, for the same reasons that I've mentioned, that some people you learn to love and hate your Ducatis at the same time, um, they complain about the herky-jerkiness of riding it around town, the heat. Um, all those things, while, again, it's a love-hate relationship, I do think that the bike is truly a pretty good commuter. Um, there's things you can do to tame it out if you drop the sprockets down, things like that. But um, the, one of the biggest reasons I like the Monsters so much I mean, we'll dive into this more later when we talk about our all-time list, is they saved Ducati. Um, mm -hmm. And, and so for that, I think that really says a lot for him. But anyway, so I'll move on. My next bike, I will have to say that I'm looking forward to, and other than 1200R, these are not in any particular order. Uh, I'm going to agree, and I'm going to be looking at the um, – I'm going to change it up slightly, and I'm going to say the Street Triple R. Oh, yeah. Uh, for 2016. Again, as we've mentioned, the Street Triple, the Speed Triple, they're both getting a complete redesign. Uh, the headlights finally look halfway normal again. Um, and it's overall just a very sexy bike. I've always loved them. Um, I honestly <laughs> fell in love with the bike for the first time when I was watching Mission Impossible 2 and Tom Me Cruise. Me too. Don't worry. It's okay. Rode one of those um, in that bike. Just uh, don't notice the knobby tires suddenly appearing and disappearing. That's both of them. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's, uh, that, that's the Daytona and the Tri and the Speed Triple. I guess uh, when they figure most people watching the movie aren't motorcycle uh, aficionados, that uh, they get away with that stuff. When I first saw Mission Impossible Two, I didn't notice that either. Took has anyone years. has either one of you seen Rogue Nation, the newest one? Not yet. I just oh my god! The ride scene cool. in that, mm -hmm. you're watching it. I remember because I work at a I work at the BMW store here in town, and we got an early screening because BMWs all over. it. Um, I'm watching it. I'm going, yeah, Tom, you probably don't want to lean off that far. Oh, yeah, like I said, you don't want to try and drag any cloth pants. See, I told you. That's how it's going to work out. The ride scene, the chase scene in that movie is phenomenal on bike. It's awesome. And it's, I'm me being the BMW fanboy. I'll say it. I'll readily admit it. But, you know, nothing but black S1000 double R's mm -hmm. and they're chasing each other. I'm all in. It was such a good chase scene. <clears throat> anyway. So, um... With that, again, you, you know, you're looking at the 675, uh, obviously, in the street triple. I mean, you're a naked 
Daytona, basically. And, mm-hmm. and Triumph Credit has taken that an extra step further, and they're bringing out the RX, mm-hmm. um, which actually I think they made that for 2015, didn't they? I don't think they did. Um, anyways, they, they're taking it a step further, and it's actually, basically, they're adding on your bikini fairings, your fly screen, all that stuff is going to become standard on the bike. And the rear section is being replaced, and instead of the short, stubby little tail, which I kind of prefer, um, they are replacing it with the full tail section off of the 675. Hmm. So that could be fun. That'll be inter- interesting. That way you don't have to actually do it yourself. I will say, if, you, if sure. you're going to ride a passenger, that might be the way to go. Because uh, they definitely don't leave you much room, especially if you like to eat no. pizza as much as we do. <laughs> yeah, every podcast. So yep, every podcast. So but well, there's only two. So, so we might have a sushi podcast one. Okay. But, I mean, honestly, RX is cool. I like the thought of it. Again, like you said, if you're riding with a passenger, it makes a whole lot of sense. But, I mean, one of the most beautiful things about the speed triple and the street triple is the fact that it is so stubby and it's it's just this it's like a pug yeah a very fast pug with an attitude i would have a go ahead sorry oh, i was just i would have a very hard time picking between the two because on one hand i have this torque addiction um so i would lean towards the speed triple but it's hard to beat the handling that that street triple has True. and the 675 motor is nothing oh, to yeah. sneeze at, at all. No. I mean, I loved it when I had my Daytona. I'd say the only thing that comes close is probably the new 636 that Cowie's brought back. No. No. MV. You still don't get the torque. Well, there is, and there is the uh, the, the 675 uh, MV, the Brutale, MV. and the, uh, yeah, the there's, F3. There is that. That's the unobtainium. Yeah. They've actually got a dealer in the, Louisville now. I, really? Yeah, they got a dealer in Louisville. That's close. We should ride up there when they look at them. Mm-hmm. We should do uh, mm-hmm. episode like 7 in their front in their parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> I got family in Louisville. We can go hang out up there. Oh, come on. I was trying to tie that in. No, I will say, I think if I was going to get an F3 while we're on that subject, I'd probably go for the 800cc version. Oh, yeah. I need to get the 800 because the fuel oh, yeah. is a lot better. Oh, yeah. But anyway. I want to ride the Dragster. So, Dude, the Dragster's awesome. I want to ride one. I want one of those. So, or a Revolve. The Revolve would be so freaking cool. I like oh, the yeah. Revolve a lot. Yeah. Again, one of those bikes. Kind of, what is the Anyway, it's a it really like nice motor card. Yeah. So, so moving on from the speed triple, I'm going to throw up and say... Don't throw up. Don't throw up. Throw up. I'm, no. <laughs> We're at my apartment. You throw up, I'm going to make you eat it. No. On it's your pizza. pizza. Slugger. I'm sure the cat will get it. Nope. All right. So the next one on the list is probably going to be the new RSV4. Um, now, they're coming out with a new RF Factory World Superbike Edition of this. Yeah. Well, they claim, I believe, 210 horsepower. Um, if again, uh, I would assume that's possibly at the crank, but if they get anywhere within ten horsepower of that mark, they'll get they'll get down two o they'll put down two o five at the wheel. So that that's going to be very impressive. I, I've always loved the RS before. Um, as much again, I may be the Ducati fanboy, but I believe that a V four is possibly the most sexy sound you can ever hear out of a motorcycle. Uh, so with that, of course, when the RS V uh, first came out in was it 2009. Mm-hmm. Fell in love with it. Wanted, wanted one so bad. And then I, they've just steadily improved it and improved it. Um, didn't know if I liked the initial redesign for 2016 at first. There's not a huge difference. But, uh, you know, they took kind of the sharper headlight lines out of the front and softened them up a little bit. Yeah. But I noticed they also made the fairing a little bit smaller. So if you go and well, look at it. Racing purposes. Um, they got to make it smaller for top speed. Today. But uh, overall, I think I've, I fell in love with it quite a bit. So that would be... My next pick, again, nothing hugely different, but other than the claimed 16 horsepower, I did um, jump over last year's factory edition model. 
Um, obviously, they've added in a few more of the Aprilia electronics that they've been going crazy with, APSRC, all that yeah. stuff. Um, so, again, nothing crazy new, but revamped enough that I feel like it's definitely a noteworthy bike up there. Right. And yeah. I've got nothing bad to say about this choice either. I mean, I own the uh, Toronto 1000. Granted, it was still the twin, but I've always lusted after the uh, V4. Well, the back end on that V4, the back end on the Dars V4 has been the best looking rear end on any bike for ever. No, not about ever. For uh, the last, no, nah, I'm not going to go ever. But for the last five years on a readily available bike, yeah, Dars V4 has got the best. I never thought rear I'd end. say that about a tiny, pointy little. Oh, I know. Ass. No, but it's, yeah, we're, yeah, it's so, the, the way it, waspish is what I call it. It just looks so good. Probably anyway. not meant to ride with passengers. No, God, no. They didn't design that with somebody on the back at all involved. You can get an optional seat. <laughs> where? But I hope you're riding your pet mouse. I was going to say, where are you going to put it? The subframe so... Anyway. So, are we going to go top five? Or what are we going to do? Of all uh, five? What are we going to do? Of all five? Was that all five? Uh, it was three. Oh. <laughs> See, this is what I happens. You take so freaking okay. long. Let's go. So, next one I'll throw out there. This one very quick. We've already discussed it. The Honda Africa Twin. Yeah. Um, I'll say the reason that it grabbed my attention is I fell in love with the Tiger 800 XC. Great bike. When it came out. Um, again, it was just around the time that I was working for Triumph. And I took that thing out and I rode it and I was first one in the dealership. And I remember my boss said, let me know what you think. I come back and I was so giddy with smiles, I couldn't hardly even tell him what I thought about the bike. Um, I will say the XC is much more wheelie happy mm -hmm. than its standard com uh, counterpart. Obviously, do the 21-inch front wheel, you are got a little more weight towards the back. But to me, it was the first bike that came out that I could see myself going towards the adventure market because I was never a big fan of the GS series BMWs. As great of a bike as they are, I never really liked the way they felt when you ride them. So that 800 was the first one. So now, I was looking at that. I've looked at the Super Tenere's. I've looked at the Ducati Multistrada's. Well, I would love to get one. The price is, is very high over there. So, you know, coming in at, I believe, a, a MSRP of 129 Oh yeah, you're you're uh, all it's, over. It's that. very Half affordable. The price of a, uh, 998 yeah. cc uh, uh, parallel twin. They they did not do the V twin like the old Africa twin, uh, mainly due to obviously you could save a little bit of money on that cost reasons, but also maintenance reasons. Right. They yeah. they're not as maintenance intensive. Uh, it's not as crazy trying to route the exhaust pipes all around. It's a lot smaller package too. It is a lot smaller. And you know I will say this: Honda and even Kawasaki. Yeah. If they be, can build anything well, it's a twin. Parallel yeah. twin. Rock solid. I mean, how many of the old CVs ran parallel twin? Oh, all of them. You Pretty know? much. So, yeah, it's not something that's new to them, and they over-engineered this thing 30 years ago yeah. as far as the engine. So I'll move on at my last bike, which I'm actually very surprised that nobody else mentioned, especially the one that used to do a lot of track time. What? Is Suzuki is bringing back. The SV650. Very true. Okay, look, this is, in my defense, it's not really very different. They're just bringing it back. So, well, a couple of updates. I'm going to tell you right now, I can guarantee you, the SV, this new Z650 is going to be 75 horsepower. It's going to be 50 pound-feet of torque. You're going to need to do a rear shock, fork internals, and you've got, you're done. That's all you got to do. The suspension's always been the weak point on an SV. I would agree with that statement, but the thing that the reason it's on my list is pretty much solely look at what the SV650 has done, and even yeah. though it's not been made in what five years now, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's it's really the SV, yeah. yeah, it 
has it still continues to do today for the racing world. Oh it's yeah, still one of the best bikes you can go out and buy to start out on the track. One well, of the most approachable bikes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think you can get a full track setup for thirty-five hundred bucks. A good track setup for thirty-five hundred bucks. You can get a national championship winning bike for five grand. So I can so, only imagine what is going to happen now that they're bringing it back. Even if they didn't change it at all, to me, I think the fact that they're bringing that back uh, is is definitely noteworthy. And it's definitely a good step from the Gladius. I've got a Gladius. Uh, great bike, but visually, not so much. It, visually, they killed it because it turned into a girl's bike. Now, yeah. I hate saying it like that because, no, that's really lot, what they designed it Yeah, for. they tried to go after the, the Italian market, mm-hmm. and like we said last podcast, Japanese cannot design a good-looking naked. It looks like an MV got punched in the face. Yeah, it looked, or, it, or an MV got crashed. Right. That's what it that's looks true. like. And I hate you, saying that because I love that bike. Even but though still. the Gladys technically has a better engine than the SV did. So I yeah, am that's, yeah. technically. Depends on the year. <laughs> right. Depends on the year. Don't, don't so, I'm not trying to kill I will throw out that looks like she I is. am curious to see I'm what Chris's Gladius looks like when it becomes a Gladiator. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Did you really go there? More like a Gladiator. Gladiator, yeah. Yeah, yeah Gladiator. I'm going to say Gladiator because yeah. I'm going to mess with the engine on here. <laughs> oh, man. But anyway. But so, that, that is that your top five of this coming year? This year? That is my top five for 2016. Awesome. Cool. What we're going to do is we're going to take a non-existent sponsor... Break. Break, yes. And we'll be back momentarily. Have fun. We'll be back in a minute. And we're back. Oh, God, why are you yelling? Because I'm not hanging up here yet. Bullshit. Well, I've got enough liquor over two. there. You're driving. You don't have to, you don't get to drink all that. All right, fine. You got a long drive home. You got to take this one back and then you home. Well, it looks like a mile from me. Well, but still, you live an hour and a half away from me. So Taking anyway. me up in the morning? Yeah, you got to pick his ass up <laughs> in the morning. Pick me up you? in the morning? <laughs> I'll leave my car at the shop. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you'll be ready by the time I'm ready to get you. Do you have a motor in your car yet? I, it's in there. It, it just sounds a, like it's still, it's <laughs> a, yeah. It's still got a rod sticking out of the block. Still telling knock knock jokes. Anyway, welcome back to that. Wingman's Garage. We're back. We're we're gonna keep talking crap about yeah. the Hedgehog's car because it's fun. Exactly. Now anyway. we finished just talking about our top fives of what we're looking forward to in 2016. But let's go back into time. Back. Way back. Back into time. Let's talk ba-da, about. Ba-da, 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 little Huey Lewis going on there. A little bit. Where is Huey? Huey? I don't know where Huey is. Yeah, thank you. He was in time somewhere. Yeah. Let's oh, talk about... God. That was a bad joke. Anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about what we consider to be <sighs> five of the greatest motorcycles of all time. And we're going to limit ourselves to only five. Because if we did, this podcast would be five hours long, and we just don't have that amount of recording ability. Right. Or um, I don't think you want to listen to us for that long. God, I don't so, want to listen to me for that long. This uh, Hedgehog was the last one to speak as far as what he figures. Let's have him start again. Hedgehog Let's gets talk. to go first on this one. Ah, <laughs> I'm sit back they're and sick of hearing me. Talk some more smack. All righty. <clears throat> Top five of all time. You know, this was a very hard list for me. It is because, 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 down to five. Yeah. 
Well, and because I could take this and I could divide it up into like 50 different categories. I could do the most innovative of all time, and I could do your the favorite most of all your favorite five of all time. So mm, stuff that made mm. you go wow. I. Hmm. All right, so we'll start with probably the obvious uh, would be the monster. Yeah. Um, Which one? See, and that's my favorite. I want to say twelve hundred arms, but I've not ridden one. Um, so on paper, we'll go with that. But out of all the ones that have come out, I think you know I've owned a nine hundred IE, which was basically the same thing as the S two R and the S four R. Yeah. Only different engine. Um. So handling, handling characteristics, all that being the same, I'm probably going to say that the one I'm riding right now, I think the 1100, um, is is my favorite of all time. That's a very um, tunable motor, too. That's a very stonky good motor. It, it is. And, and, you know, a lot of people give Ducati crap because, especially in the 90s and before, they were not the most reliable bikes. Um, and it is if not I mean anything Italian that's reliable, and I'll show you a liar. And I wouldn't even say that <laughs> mechanically it was really a reliability issue. It was just the service intervals were ridiculously short compared to the Japanese bike. That and on top of the fact of what you're having to service too. Because on a valve adjustment, you're not just making two adjustments of valve. You're making you're making one adjustment of valve. You're and making two adjustments. And, every, you know, yeah, it's just, they're very labor intensive. Now, I will say that the 90s electronics were plagued by just stupid random things that when you figured out what it was, it made no sense that it even happened to begin with. Um, so thankfully, they've, they've sorted that out. They finally ditched the Magnetti Morelli electronics and went to the Siemens. Downside is right now I don't have as many options to tune my bike as if I had the magnetic system. Um, however, I have a much more reliable electronic system, so that's nice to have. But the Ducati Monster was was it saved Ducati. Um, and the other thing that that I love about this bike, and that a lot of people don't know, is this is a parts bin bike. This bike was made with a 900 SS frame, um, and basically <laughs> when Ducati went to approve this, the engineer looked at him and and told them what he wanted to do. And they were so against the idea, but just to, I guess, uh, jerk him off a little bit, uh, they told him, you know what, if you can build it out of the spare parts that we have, you can then we'll, t we'll honestly entertain the idea. So a Hedgehog definitely just insinuated an Italian hand job. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I mean, their leather soft. Was it, a, was, it a, <laughs> was, it a, was it a happy ending massage parlor? <laughs> I mean, what? Maybe. Oh, I don't know. God. But granted, the story did have a happy ending, at least, anyways. Um, he put the bike together, brought it to Ducati, and they fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. um, they put it out, and it sold so well that it honestly probably kept Ducati from going into bankruptcy. There's no probably to it. It did. Well, yes. There's no probably. It's like what, what the Scrambler's done now. The Scrambler has outsold the monster now after just two years of being out there. I mean, it's there have been more Ducati Scramblers bought that saved the company because they were getting close. I mean, yeah, Audi bought them. And yeah, Ducati is uh, one of the only only manufacturers out there right now, or I should say very few, that um, have increased substantially their sales every year over the last five or six years. It's been most of the European ones, too, because BMW just did it, too. BMW and Aprilia. They've gone up. MV, MV's, it's a, it's yeah, a niche. boutique brand. It's, really. it's a boutique brand. The bikes are gorgeous yes. in every form of the world. To me, MV is kind of where Ducati was in like 91, 92. Yeah. But MV's so, on its way. MV's got some really interesting stuff coming. But anyway. So my next favorite bike of all time would probably be, and it's another Ducati, but the Sport Classic 1000. Now, Which one? I, I love the GT 1000, but if now if I could pick any of them, 
I'm going to go for the Paul Smart Edition. Oh, yeah. But at $30,000 for a decent used model. See, the problem, the, the, the biggest problem they have with the sport classes, you could not give those bikes away when they were new. No. You couldn't do it. No, not at all. I couldn't really do true. it. My buddy Rob raced a Paul Smart for a good couple of years, good four years. Did some, did some damage with that bike. Damaged that bike a couple of times too. Actually, he wanted no. That was his six ninety five custom. So anyway, we'll get into that story. That's a fun bike. But anyway, but it again with the bike exif craze, the cafe racer craze, everything else, and the, what probably half started that was Tron, the new Tron. Mm-hmm. Yes, because they had that flat black, the sport classic, everything. I was talking to David Bloodward, the owner of the local Ducati, Ducati shop here. Like, hey, did you ever, do you ever see any of these used in, you know, in the showroom? He goes, I couldn't give those things away when they were new. Now I can't ever get them back in because everybody's selling them. I mean, you could have a, you know, a beat the crap one and still sell it for MSRP and within an hour. That's no, I, crazy. I, uh, I think the biggest problem with the Sport 1000s were they were just a few years ahead of their they were, they had yeah. come out. If that bike was three years now, later, oh god, oh. There would have been instant I give you the scrambler. I give you the scrambler. Yeah, the scrambler. I mean, We're going to see probably three more versions of that bike, of that particular frame, with not not look like a tracker or anything. We're going to have, we will have a Cafe Racer version of the scrambler probably. We'll probably have years. the updated version of the 900SS again. Maybe when that the scrambler classic out. comes out, we'll uh, yeah. be able to afford some of the other ones. No I kidding. looked at a Sport Classic, Sport 1000. Um, and I think it was, and this is in pretty reasonably good shape. I don't think any, you know, no real damage, but it had been ridden. Um, $13,000. Well, get that. It wasn't that new. For 2007. It wasn't that new. It was, <laughs> it was 10 grand new. It's 80, insane. $89.99. I remember seeing that on Cody's website. That was, that's, yeah, that's the base GTS. Still. Yeah, still though. Yeah. I remember in 2011, I sat on one, and this was before they, and, because what you quit making those 2010? Yeah. Um, it was a leftover 2010 model, wasn't it? And it may have been. And I remember sitting on one at a Ducati dealer in Orlando while I was at MMI. And I was like, man, I could buy this. And I didn't. I was like, I'll wait. I'll do the responsible thing. Now I want to kick myself in the nuts because oh, yeah. it'd be worth twice what oh, I Oh, yeah. You'd, you'd make double your money back on it if you were taken care of. But Take love that of. bike. Again, if I picked any of them, I'd pick this Paul Smart, though. I'd probably commit blasphemy and hang the fairing on my wall and ride it without the fairing on the front. No, be, dude, the, the fairing looks cool, but shoot, put a 7-inch on it and be done with it. That look cool as hell. Oh, yeah. So, yep. my next favorite bike and... Well, this isn't necessarily what I would put in my garage right now. I'm going to have to say, one, to me, one of the best bikes of all time has been the Honda VFR. I've seen what they can do in terms of reliability. They're an extremely popular bike. And now, are we talking the 750 or are we talking the 800? I found it hard to encompass any of them. I, I want to say the whole lineup as a whole. Even, Even the 12? Or the 11 or whatever? Forget the 1200. That never happened. <laughs> <laughs> Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. We'll on put that with the DNA. These are not the droids you're looking for. Yeah. This is not the VFR you're looking for. <laughs> oh, yes. The, the 1200, the um, yeah, that was Honda's dark times. Um, <laughs> I'll say this. That 800 with the VTEC in it is a really neat ride. It's it a very works. comfortable bike. It's, uh, I do agree with people. You know, I've put some miles on a few of them, and they, they can catch you by surprise a little bit. It's not something... You want to be full throttle, you know, 
going through a corner and it kick in at that RPM. You need the setup that, that you're going to go in and you're going to keep the RPMs high enough that you're already in it yeah. and you're going to stay in it, but you don't want to fall in and out of that when you're riding sportily. Um, so that does make it a little more challenging to ride. Um, you know, my dad rode an 899 model previous um, and I think that was probably one of the better touring options. So I'd love to have the new one. I think they look absolutely phenomenal. Um, VFR, but yeah, the VFR is a cool bike where if you're gonna, if you've got three, three and a half weeks of vacation laying around, you can jump on that. And go, hey, there's three tracks that are doing track days on particular weekends. Okay, this one's in Bowling Green, this one's in Michigan, and then the other one's in Texas. I can hit all three of those. You can do that on the same bike. And then get home on and not have to change bikes. That's the and cool you won't have to sell them donut. Yeah, and that's the best part about a freaking VFR because they beat <laughs> so, everything. As you said, though, if I had to narrow it down to one of them, I'm going to say the one that really initially changed kind of the sport bike world. That's going to be the 750 VFR. Oh, and they look good too. And oh, they do. They look great, so especially if you can find and get your hands on an RC30. So good luck. I know where one is. I hope your pockets are deep. <laughs> I, I know how much he wants for it. He's still got the HRC catalog for that bike. And that HRC catalog is 65 pages deep. That's, uh, that's, that's deep. This is, an inter- this is a man who raced one in World Superbike. I know where it's at, and it's got 1,600 miles on it. He's got the HRC mag rear wheel for it. And I'm going to say it's upwards of 30? Nope. Not when, not when I ask him. This has been a few years. He probably probably want more, but not when I ask him. Hmm. We'll talk offline. We'll yeah. talk offline. Okay. Anyways, so, uh, the VFRs. Um, so, next, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the H2. Wait, time out. The two-stroke or the supercharged bike? Sorry. The, the, new, H2. the new H2. The supercharged okay. bike from Kawasaki. Okay. okay. Um, the old H2 was a phenomenal bike. It was a huge bike. Um, huge nothing? Have you ridden one of those? <laughs> that bike I, feels like a bicycle. Or am I think, what am I thinking of? What was it? Was it the Z? You're thinking the Z1. Z1. Okay. Yeah, that's that no, the, the H2 one that is like a 750cc a triple. Tank or something. No, it's the yeah, H2, the original H2 is a 750cc three-cylinder two-stroke. Which was... Uh, which is a Widowmaker. Yes, absolute favorite bike. It, oh, it actually made my top ten when we had a top ten. I, I have a very dear friend of mine who has one that is museum condition. And it is sitting, it's the blue one. It's sitting in his garage, in his living room. And the only time it's going to actually get out and be ridden is when this man dies. So, and I've already told, I'm very dear friends with his brother. And I told him one day, I need him to hurry up and die so I can ride the H2 and have a ZRX. He's got a ZRX 12 so there with like 3,000 miles on it. But anyway. So, uh, H2, as we were saying, it's, um, that is a bike that I think has just changed the motorcycle world. Uh, we've already. Of, I think it's bringing back a crazy start of the eighties um, with the turbo charging. But yes, yeah, continue. Which, uh, we'll, my, we'll interrupt you again. Here yeah, right. my my dad we'll actually had a, a turbo. Uh, was it CB CB six fifty? Was the, did he have a six fifty turbo? Uh, and it oh, was, that was the CX. CX six fifty. Yeah. My dad's got a yeah. CX six fifty silver one. Prince rode awesome. a CX five hundred. He did ride a five hundred. Yeah, I had one of those. So and actually, now I think about, I don't think dad's. I think he had the six fifty four. Um, still great bike. No, great bike. Uh, yeah, super freaking yeah. wide. But yeah, yeah, that was bike. that bike is the first motorcycle I ever rode on in my entire life. Yep. Um, so great stories there. But uh, the H2, it, it started a, a craze again with the supercharging, the turbocharging. Um, as we were already in a hunger you know, or a horsepower hunger craze, um, and I think that's just up the ante. Obviously, you go to the H2R, it's 260. 
we have a, a friend of ours that will not throw his name out here, but um, he got the H2 street version, um, has done some ECU flashing, and I believe he's looking at, what was it, 256 yeah, this to the rear is wheel? Yeah, reflash with the Brock full exhaust. Uh, this bike is a monster. Yeah, no, I, I think it's really one of the only bikes I'm afraid to ride. Most I'm, because if I, I crash it, it, I can't afford to fix it. Yeah, I'm with him on that one. I would be scared to death of crashing it, but if... I would, if I had really deep pockets, I would bring that thing to the moon. So you see they've got the new – we've got the H2, which has brought out the uh, – there's two or three engines that Kawasaki's looking at bringing out, one of which is in the 600 glass um, that are going to be supercharged. Uh, we just got word that Suzuki is now working on a supercharged engine. That's well. going to actually That's happen. The, uh, That's well, the, recursion. Yeah, the recursion. The recursion. They have patented – they have copyrighted and patented the name. It's a 588C parallel twin turbo. So it's got a turbo on it. It's going to push right at 115 horsepower and about 68 pound-feet of torque. But the thing only weighs 345 yeah. pounds, and it looks like a cafe racer designed designed in the 50s to make it look like it was from the future. The silver it turbo looks, would ride this. It looks amazing. If they bring this bike out, I buy one. I will buy one if it comes out. This is bringing up thoughts of uh, my thoughts about turbocharging a certain 750 KV twin that's sitting in a certain somebody's uh, garage. Uh, <clears throat> I don't want to catch a piston through the chest on that one. <laughs> I don't either. I don't want to catch my nuts where they are. I don't want to catch a piston through the tank and in the chest. I guess this is another hedgehog attribute. I'm addicted to speed. Um, so I'll move on from that. and I'll Don't say, drug test him. No, no, not, no. Not that kind of speed. <laughs> Unless you have some. Just kidding. Any, uh, shut up and go ignore that. Place. So... My next bike would be the Ducati 996S. Um, that's the twin seat one, right? Or is that the the S that's in between? That's in between the S and the SPS, right? Uh, correct, correct. Right. Yeah, that's gonna be your what is that, 2000, 2002. Yeah, 996. Um, that was the that was that goofy weird bastard child that they that they had the 996 for like two years and then they brought the 996. It basically you look like a 916, just a little sexier. It was pretty much you had the 916, and then the 916 you got its bump to the 996. Um, the 996 is what was dominating, um, I guess it was still a super bike at the time, which unfortunately got knocked off its totem pole when the RC51 came out, um, which was a great bike, but still a fat pig. I own one of them. Um, sounds amazing. Probably the most uncomfortable bike I've ever ridden. But You're not again, the only person to say Episode that. one, we talked about Yes, we did. Great bike on the track, terrible bike on the street. I'm, I'm very short, again, at 5'8", and my back hurt all the time when I rode that. Um, so the 996, uh, specifically the S model, obviously being the top of the line street morning version. But to me, that was really one of Ducati's proudest moments of shining. And that bike has is still regarded, uh, you know, it still looks great to this day. Um, and it's regarded by many to be the best sport bike they've ever made, and possibly the best sport bike that's ever been made in existence as far as looks go. Um, so love the bike. Again, some people love, hate it, um, but. That would definitely be a, a big one on my list. Uh, I would have hit a garage on it. That, um, that'd be the hard part for me. So, th yeah, uh, that would be it. So I'm going to just, before I pass this on, I'm going to throw this out there. I would take, uh, <laughs> again, the Ducati fanboy coming out here. But if I were doing my garage list, I will mention that I would ditch the Honda VFR and the Kawasaki H2. And for my crazy, relentless speed, like I would actually throw in a Desmos Avicii RR. And yeah. to replace the VFR for my touring bike, I would probably get a new Multistrada 1200S.
God, you are. You didn't have one not. You. Do, oh my gosh. Do you have. Do you have like the old Ducati electric razors and the camera and the sewing machines and everything else too that they made back in you the fifties? So, you know where I can buy those? Oh my god. <laughs> you know, I'm just gonna say this. I'm gonna totally disagree with the Multistrada S because I ride the Pike P. <laughs> I don't care either way. I don't want to have to pay for the service intervals on any of them. Anyway, there's a hundred bikes I could fit, but oh, well, yeah, that is just the five. If I went out tomorrow and could, fit, I could walk into Ducati shop and walk out with five bikes. It would cover everything I wanted. Yeah, you would cover the whole Ducati dealership. But anyway, <laughs> since we went backwards, it's your turn, Chris. All I'm right, gonna, let's talk be about right back. my top five. And some of this that I'm going to tell you is coming purely, like most motorcycles, from an emotional point of view. There's a few here though that I'm going to mention. I think actually kind of changed the face of the industry for a bit. I'm going to start off with one that has always been kind of close to my heart just because of someone else we mentioned. Me! Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Oh, God. I'm going to talk You're about not- the Kawasaki GPZ. The 900 or the 600 that he wheelied? Yes, that one. The oh, one from Pop Gun. Uh, I mean, no. when you're an impressionable... Let me see, I was seven at the time. Well, you're an impressionable... Well, you're, you're an impressionable seven-year-old. How old you are right now. Okay? And you're watching who at that moment in time was probably the coolest dude in all of movies. He's still the coolest guy. Yeah, I agree. But at that moment in time, he was undoubtedly the coolest guy oh, yeah. in Hollywood. He's still the coolest guy in the room. Yeah. And he can ride. He can but ride. I will can ride. that. Now, when you see him rolling along the side of a a runway with an F-14 taking off next to him, and he's on a flight, and the only thing you can think is, that is fucking cool. Oh, yeah. And you want to be on the bike, not in the plane? Yeah. The GPZ is still one of those bikes that, while I probably would never own more than one and would never be my only bike, I would definitely own one. And you know that he didn't wheelie a 900. He wheelied a 600, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Oh, my God. Hedgehog <laughs> for the win. Song? What? Hedgehog for the win. You should have played it. That was, that was, that's what it was playing. That was his, that was his side chick's uh, ringtone. And he had, he had just finished his little, uh, his little scene with, uh, what was her name in that movie? I can't even say it. Uh, Charlie. Yes. yes. And he was, that's when he was on the bike though. He's riding past the airship yep. and the sunset. And... No, it was a different song. It was another Kenny Loggins song. Yeah. But anyway. Okay. You just well, wanted to throw that in there just anyway. because you're that it, it, He's all emotional about it. So. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun for Chris because he got all doughy-eyed and he started tearing up. I think up. he's crying. Is he? Maybe a little. <laughs> we're glad, this, we're glad this is an audio podcast and not a video podcast. All right. Go. So next. Number two. Number two. Okay, I'm going to throw it back even further now. I'm going to go back to the 50s, you know, kind of the golden heyday of motorcycle racing. I'm going to go to a British bike, the Matchless G50. Oh, my God. I've to actually me, thrown my the, leg over one of those. It, this is one of the, to me, one of the most beautiful bikes Ever yes. made 350 cc boy racer. Gorgeous. I mean, it had the lost tail. I'm not lost this tail. Um, it had just gorgeous cutouts in uh, the tank for your knees. Clip on the little fly screen that was really made out of screen. Yeah. It was made uh, out. The gold uh, crankcase cover. Yeah. The timing cover. I mean, everything about this bike it, to me is just. Beautiful. It's a rolling piece of art. Yes. That people race. Mm-hmm. These are the bikes that back in the day the kids in London 
took their courier bikes and changed them to look just like these. These were the original cafe racers. Yes. I mean, well, they were actually racers. Cafe racers were the kid bikes. But these are the actual. These are GP bikes that you could ride on the street. Yeah. This isn't a $185,000 213V. No. This is something no. you could buy off the showroom floor and throw some, throw another, say, 500 pounds if we're in London. Or just build your own Or just parts build your own parts and everything like that. And you can go race a GP. Yeah. And to so. me, still one of the most beautiful bikes of all time. When I have the funds to have one, I want one to display proudly in my house. You know that. Have you seen. What, Mr. Barber Vintage Races? Mm-hmm. The G90. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. Oh, yeah. It's gorgeous. Anyway. And then there's the Porcupine. Not to be uh, related with Hedgehog over here, but the Porcupine. Yep. Another bike that he has, like, six, I don't mean, what, eight? Eight. He has six yeah. of the eight. And one of them, they, they vandalized, not vandalized, but scavenged from the yes. you know, running model. Yes. Beautiful bike. So that's another topic. Yeah. All right. Another bike, classic in my, I'm pretty sure all of us here will agree. This bike changed the world when it first came out. The 1985 GFXR 750. Oh, of course. This red is, and black. Yeah, red and black. Red this and black. is the bike that was that truly put sport bikes on the map. It made Japanese bikes, because at the time, Japanese bikes had fantastic motors, but, but handled like pickup trucks. The UGMs of the world. Yeah, the yeah. UJM, Universal Japanese Machine, did everything great. They handled like pigs. Yeah. That GFXR bike came out. Changed the whole planet, changed everything. Now bike, Japanese bikes could handle, and that's what started this. Now we have the insanity that is the R1M and the CBR SP yep. and the, the, Z, ZX, the new ZX10 and, I mean, how, and the new Gix1000. Yeah, the S1000 double R. Their their bike that they based that bike on. This is the this is the benchmark we have to run was an 05 Gix1000. Yes. And they made a just they just made a 120 percent version of a Gixxon yep. 1000, and it's just we owe everything that we ride that we've all ridden pretty much to an 8570. Yeah. So I mean, this it's hard for me to make this list. Yeah. And not include the GSXR 750. Mm-hmm. Love them or hate them nowadays. Well, it's they all there's go a back stigma to this. there. There is. There's a stigma <laughs> now, but that's not with that that's, does that doesn't have anything to do with the bike. That stigma is about to continue on with my next. Oh God! Okay. Again, to me, and let's let's sit, throw a grain of salt on here. When I talk about the Hayabusa, I don't mean the chromed out, stretched out, blinged out. Now, artistic sometimes, gaudy sometimes. Now, machines that are out there now. The stretch, the fat tire, they all have a place there for. There's a place. There's a place for everything. But I'm going to actual. Bike. Yeah. The GSX 1300R, not to be confused with the GSXR 1300, there's a difference. Yep. The highest, when it came out, it was a game changer. Uh, Kawasaki had always believed himself to be the leader of performance. You know, that's uh, funny. Honda knocked him off that photo. Honda yeah. at the time. When they Honda came out with their CBR 1100 XX, the Blackbird, Blackbird was it bad. was like, the fastest production motorcycle of its time. For a year. Because yeah. right after that year, Suzuki came out with the Hayabusa. See, the Busa was going to come out the same year. Mm-hmm. But what are we, why are we beeping? Oh, that's our pickup president. Okay, whatever. Sorry, so the Busa was going to come out the same year, but they beat, the Blackbird came out a split second before. Mm-hmm. The Blackbird sent 
the Suzuki engineers back to the wind tunnel, and they were designed the entirety of the bodywork. Yep. And the reason why it's called the Hayabusa oh, yeah, is because that. the Hayabusa is the is the bird it's the in Japan falcon. is the peregrine falcon that its main so- food source and its main prey is a blackbird. Yep. So this is one of the rare times that the Japanese manufacturers give give some give another one the big middle finger say ha we're gonna come get you and Suzuki won on that front. Oh yeah, and they they came in with a vengeance. Yeah. I mean this is the point where was it, the president of France mm-hmm. decided that the manufacturers were building bikes that were way too fast because at the time that Hayabusa could easily hit a there was true two hundred miles an hour two hundred five. Was the actual once it got to that point aerodynamically, it was going to start hurting. And it wasn't really; it was the president of France because the Prefabrique was is still so prevalent with street racers. Yeah. They've got the Circuit de Carole that they built back in the '70s because the '70s street racers back in Paris were leaps and bounds ahead, crazier than what they are now. Oh yeah. So the Prefabrique was their little; it's a 35 kilometer loop that they were killing it on. Yep. So they're like, no, we, you have something that has to change. And that's when they had the gentleman's agreement in, the, in Japan for 189 yep. So anything of the original, like the first generation Busa, 99 to 2000, you can get one that's un, that's unrestricted. Yes. 2001 on, they're going to be restricted to 189 yep. You will get to 189 and then a little electronic barrier is going to be sitting there. And you're going to be bouncing off oh, 189 yeah. and that's it. I've had a 2009 Hayabusa. Absolutely love the back bike and I never... Ever to let it go. That's the 1390, right? 1340 or something. Yeah. I will verify that for a fact. If you've never ridden one, you don't believe us. At 186 miles an hour, it will stop pulling. It doesn't matter how far you in the rev range is, you will hit. It will feel like it hit the limiter. It hits a wall. Yep. And you cannot go any faster without you restricting the bike one way or another. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, for those of you who have never ridden one, I'll I'll be honest with you. I had a Huge disdain for the Hayabusa for years, mostly because I'm not one that personally likes the look of the stretched out uh, wide tire. Again, it has its place, it's not for me. But every Hayabusa I've ever seen, that's what was done to it. It wasn't until I actually rode one that I realized how much I liked it. You dropped some weight off. I mean, it's like that X11 that Yoshimura built that they ran the Suzuka 8 hours. Right. That bike there, they made like 15 of them, and it's probably one of the fastest road bikes you can ever get, or even a track bike if you can find one that's under 50 grand. Right. I mean, it's punched out to a 1350, and it's got full-on every kind of suspension bit to make it handle better and everything else, and it's an utter monster. I mean, that motor, I mean, heck, that motor is a jewel. Yes, it is. And, uh, you know, with the, the one I had, I dropped the stock exhaust, lost mm-hmm. 70 pounds doing that. Yeah. Threw on the Yoshimura R55 full exhaust system. That changed everything. I also raised up the rear end. That changed the handling dramatically. Made it look goofy. It, I thought it looked badass. It looked, it, it looked it, purposeful. It, it looked goofy with the way that the rear end is. When you jack it up like that, it's got that curl over it. Right. It looks like, like what? Why are you got your butt I, in the air like that? I well, I'm it. not a huge fan again, like y'all said, of the um, of the drop out. stretched. I will say that a six inch, like four to six inch extension on a lower Busa 
matches the rear fender on those yeah, things right. amazingly. Yeah. Well, you know, when they redesigned the Hayabusa for the second generation, uh, the designers actually looked at the people who were riding them. Yeah. And most of the guys that rode them were kind of big and burly and muscular. <laughs> yeah, I love you to death, but you are far from that. Well, <laughs> love you to death. That's Suzuki's own own words there. Yeah. Unquote. Oh, I know. Okay. And uh, they designed the bike to match that. Yeah. Now, I, of course, I'm riding a ZX14 right now. Great bike as it is. Similar, but so different. Yeah. Uh, the Hayabusa is very much a GSXR part. Yeah. Uh, in the corners, yes, there is more weight. But it will dive into the corners a whole lot better than the ZX-14. I'll say this. I've seen boosts on a track there. Oh, yeah. I've never seen a ZX-14 on a track no, there. No, no. Completely different riding position uh, and just a different intent. Yeah. 14 stinky fast. High boost is just that much better. ZX-14 is better at drag racing. Boost is better at handling. Yes. Anyway. So that's number four. Next bike. My last one. Again, I'm going to throw it back into time here. I'm going to... Uh, to the 70s He's showing his age. He is showing his I age. I am showing my age, but it has its place. <laughs> this is Yamaha's best-selling motorcycle of all time. It is such a versatile bike. RD? No, no, no. Such a versatile bike. You can do anything with this bike. If you have one of these in stock condition, you can take this thing and tool around to California if you want to. Or you can strip it, you can bob it, you can cafe it, you can track it. Yep. The XS650. <laughs> XS650. Both, you said Bobber and I went XS650. Most versatile motorcycle on the planet. Yep. Uh, granted, it's not the fastest thing out there. It's not the prettiest thing out there either. Honestly, I'll disagree. I think that looking at just the engine, okay. I think the engine is a work of art. Just the just motor, like yeah. Now, when it first came out, they threw it up against its biggest competition, which was Back in the day, the Triumph Bonneville, mm -hmm. Ford's various... Or the Tiger or the T120, right. whatever it was. And everyone came back and said, it does everything the Triumph will do better yep. with less maintenance. And it, it is that. It is the perfect bike you can do anything with. For the guys who want a cafe racer, they got to pick it up. They can spend two, three hundred bucks on it, do some chopping and welding, and there you go. You've got a pristine cafe racer. And I feel like if I remember correctly, too, um, unlike the Triumph, um, they didn't sell you a new shiny oil pan to go underneath your bike. No, that, that's also you know? very true, too. <laughs> it, didn't, it doesn't leak at all. No, no, no. Which is it nice. Does. And hell, we, how many people have made their names on these things? Oh, yeah. Kenny. Kenny Roberts. Kenny Roberts was flat-tracking one before they put him on that TZ. Yep. And, so, yeah, so that rest our case there. Yeah, so uh, for me, that's my top five. And it was a hard five to put together. So let's hear yours, Dan. All right, my top five. Now, I know I've picked on Hedgehog a lot tonight. He's starting with a BMW. No, I'm not either. <laughs> I'm starting with, and I'm going to go with bikes that made me stop and made hit me hard. And This first bike, since these two have known me for a while, and this is like the second episode, but this first bike is the only bike that has ever rendered me speechless. And for these guys... You hear yeah. that? That's saying a lot. lot. To make this guy it makes a lot for me to shut up. 916 Ducati Senna Edition in silver. Wow. Oh, wow. Silver with oh. red wheels. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. They had one at the Barber Museum, and it's the first time I'd ever actually been able to walk through there. I saw it, and I stopped, and I stared at it for 10 minutes. Huh. I didn't move. I'm an ADHD kid. I stood there <laughs> stone-faced and didn't move for 10 minutes just staring at this bike. Gorgeous. 
they were at they're still you can get the paint scheme but you, to get a cinnamon edition is really tough um you can get the paint scheme on a 748 pretty easily 916 or 996 is a little bit more difficult but you can get the paint scheme and it's not a gloss silver either it's like a matte kind of semi-gloss silver with the red wheels and the number plates and oh my god it's it, there's there's a there's only a few Ducatis I would own. That's one of them. That's the that's the that's the bike. If I hit the Powerball, I'm going to find one immediately before I even get the check. So that's the first one I'm getting, just because the red wheels. Oh, it's the red wheels. It all is. <laughs> um, my next one. Uh, this is going to be even more oddball than anything Chris came up with. All right. Wow. So now, number two for me is the Bomoda. Say 3D. Wow. The yeah. naked version. Not the not the full-on sport bike, clip-on, everything else. But the Say, the newest one they've got, the naked bike with the upright bars and the normal exhaust out the side, everything wow. else. Now, you for those of you who don't know what a Bimota Say is, go Google it. Instead of normal front forks, they've got the trailing arm front end. They call it the hub center. The cool thing about this is it separates the braking and the steering forces out where it's not all acting on the front forks, where you hear a lot of guys racing and everything that they're, I was dragging the front brake too deep and I tucked the front. You will never tuck the front on a hub center bike because it separates the steering forces and the braking forces out. So it's not acting on the same, at the same way as a normal telescopic fork works. That, and they just look freaking cool. Because <laughs> Ooh, you look at it, science on you. and it's so skinny looking. It looks so skinny. You don't, I mean, you look at it and you go, where's the rest of the bike if you look at it dead on? It's just, and it's, the way that it's built, it's all hand-built, it's all hand-machined in Italy, and if there's one thing the Italians know how to do is machining. They may not know how to do an electronic system to save their life, <laughs> and they may not know how to work in the month of August, but <laughs> the way that they can put something together and then give that extra little flair to it, it's utterly stupid. Stunning when it's done right. Um, that's my number two. Oh, number three. Oh, yeah, this is another little personal favorite. This is another one that if I ever found one, I would do my best to own. 1998. Red and white. R1. Okay. Yep, yep. That bike there was the first leader bike I fell in love with. Mm-hmm. Just because the red and white. Red's my favorite color. I. Anyway, I'm not a... I'm a Ducati fan to a point, but anyway, blah, blah, blah. But the way the red and white was, the way it is tunable as that motor is, and the fact that you can throw a bunch of modern running equipment on it and still have the comfort level of a real, a designed real-world R1 when they weren't racing the R1, they were racing the R7. Right. Which, again, would... The, the R1, just like the 85 GSX-R7, yeah. it redefined the class. It used to be open class. Mm-hmm. There was no super bike class. Mm-hmm. No, but there was classes specifically for 1,000cc bikes. They were run in the form of the extreme when yeah. that came, bike came out. No. I, I honestly, I love the bike 790. The, uh, oh, yeah. The 900 R from Honda. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Looking well, unless you're trying to find a front tire for like, a 16 inch wheel. Yeah. But if you do that, you just do the 17 inch VFR swap and yep. you'll be fine with it. Yep. That, and uh, one that, that your R1 brought up there, real quick, is uh, the FCR 1000 R. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, great looking bikes. Those motors, they still use those motors in Legends cars. That's what they're, no, they're using the FJ12, but whatever. Anyway, it's a five, five valve head. Um, number three. Four for me. 
since I'm going to be the really oddball one, I'm going to throw this out there, and I'm probably going to get laughed at by these two, but I don't care. Is it a uh, Royal Enfield? No, it's not a Royal Enfield. It's not that bad. Shifter behind the uh, rear axle. <laughs> no, you reach back. It's actually under the under the seat. you got to reach in there and pull it. Is it a Britain? No, it's not a Britain. I would have... The Britain will be on another list eventually. Britain's a beautiful. The Britain's gorgeous. Anyway, even if it is gay, I I don't care. That's one of those bikes I would ride if it was sponsored by Kotex and was white with red speckles down the front. <laughs> I don't even care. There's a visual. That's for a you. visual for you. Yeah, I went there. Um, no, EBR 1190RS. Oh hell yeah! I would have if I could. Enterprise. Oh, that bike. The race version of that bike. Sounds like Satan's NASCAR coming through. And then watching Aaron Yates and Jeff May in Birmingham at Barber come down the back straight, go into the go into Charlotte's Web, diving downhill and coming back up, seeing both of those guys pivot on the bike and then slide it through and then whack the throttle coming out. And it just sounds like thunder. Now, the 1190 RS, something about this, is that the one they just did? That's the, the that's, yeah, of, uh, that's the newest. Of it's it's the no, that's the RX. The RS is the carbon fiber, forty two thousand dollars. Right, I was thinking of uh, what was the that was the RX. they named them. They had the Lightning and the that's the that's the XP twelve. That's the Harley motorbike. Right. That's the right. sports. That's what I was thinking. That's why I said Enterprise. Cause I'm really thinking, oh yeah, yeah. It's like four feet. Wide yeah. No, that's the eleven twenty five R. Yeah. That's the Rotax motor. Yeah. I love that bike too. I almost bought one. Great of those. bike. I bought, oh like yeah. I said, every time I saw it, I just went straight. Star Trek. Oh, they're great bikes. That 1190 R, the 1125R, I still would, there's a lot of things I would do to try and buy one of those. I really like that bike. I still want 1125CR as long as I ride it at I, night. Yeah, don't ride it at night because the headline's crap, but everything else is fantastic. On that note, don't buy a monster. Yeah, don't buy a monster. <laughs> <laughs> if you're riding at night. Yeah, don't ever do that. Or buy some HIDs or something. But yeah, so the RS, I still don't understand why as a nation, we can build Corvette Z06s that run rings around 911s, and we build Z28s and Mustangs that can run rings around M3s. They can that we can actually go in the ring with the best that Europe and Japan offer now, and we still can't get somebody to fund an American sport bike and do it right because Harley tried. But the way that they worked their deal, they had to have something with a Sportster motor in it, which is honestly no better than a boat anchor. Hey, Buell did honestly, well with it as best Buell as he could. did as best as he could, don't get me wrong. But with the only time he actually could do anything, it was too little too late, it was the 1125R, and they went to Rotax for the motor. They got an Aprilia one. I, mean, I feel like there's only so much you can do when you, you've got a red light at 5,500 RPM. Well, you don't even have to need a tachometer. You can start to count when the pistons hit. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, now, don't get me wrong. If you can find a way to make a custom frame with the same geometry as an XB12 and put a good, like an SV650 or an SV1000 motor in it mm -hmm. and have that same geometry, it's a TZ250 with power. Right. It's TZ250 geometry all day. But the good thing about an XB12 you can have all the torque in the world. You can have all that. You will never high side that bike, right? Because and it's so linear and it's so progressive. You know, and let's look at exactly how much fuel Eric Buell has contributed to yes. motorcycle design today. Yes. When he first came out with that under-engine exhaust. Oh yeah, the RV, the oh, yeah. R whatever, that goofy one that he built for the F1 championship. Right. I killed that thing. And yeah. Everyone laughed at it. I mean, look mm -hmm. at any of the, the Lightning. 
yeah. the Thunderbolt. Mm-hmm. The Thunderbolt. Oh, the White Lightning. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was the, one of the first bikes to have that. What's Ducati doing now? Exactly. Say, look at the 1199. 1199. Before yeah. that, exhaust look at right the R6. Yeah. The R6 was probably the first Japanese bike mm-hmm. to adopt the under. Engine yeah, they were the first ones. They were the first Japanese manufacturers to not go to an underseat. Right. Well, Suzuki did the same thing. Well, they get the underseat. Well, that, that was kind of a fad. In yeah, that was a fad itself. Yes, it helps streamline the bike a little bit. Better. But see, the only reason they did that was because the RC 200 V had it. Right. See, that that kind of also brings up the like the third world, their excuse for having two mufflers on a CRF 250R. But they're two different sizes. That was the weird part. Yeah, and it, it's supposedly weight balanced, but I'm like, it's, it's a dirt bike. You, you do there's only the crowd to just go back to the lighter exhaust. There's only yeah. one cylinder that, there's only one piston yeah, to pull off of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At least it looks the same on both sides of it. Yeah, but, I, but, no, but then you look close, and it's it, the first year they had it was two different sizes. You're like, what in the world is that? Anyway. All right, so my number five. Number five. And I'm kind of at a coin flip right here. Because on one hand, it's another one of those watershed moments for motorcycling. Okay. And while, yes, it had some small little foibles that had to be fixed, it set the bar for what has, everything has come after. Or on the other hand, I have an utterly fantastic custom that set the, <laughs> set the design scheme for the next for the past five years. Doable. So okay, so my five A and five B. Five A is an O five GSXR thousand in blue and white. Yep. And you can pick on me for having blue and white. I don't care. I've got a friend that will say orange and black all day long. You know what? Orange and black all day, I don't care. The blue and white's the best look if you have a GSXR, there's only two color schemes it should be. Red and black mm-hmm. or blue and white. If the only other, if you bring up me yellow and silver, yellow so and black. Back to 1985. I don't care about any other colors it had on. There's only two colors that GSSR should be: red and black, or blue and white. Everything else doesn't exist to me. The 05, when that white came out, it was such a massive leap forward. I don't think there is a superbike championship in 05 that Suzuki didn't win. Because you've won an AMA, one in BSB, one in Jap- Japanese Superbike, one World Superbike, which Roy Corson on the bike, it won Australian Superbike. It won every Superbike. The only thing, the championship, I don't think it w- didn't win was MotoGP, and that was because it was production bike. Right. And 05 and 06, those two years, you could not touch Suzuki. 06, the only reason why 06 World Superbike what was won by Ducati was because they had Troy Bayless on the bike. That's the only reason. Because Troy Bayless is his own little world. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but 05, yeah, they had the frame recall because you had to re-weld the headstock with the headstock and the frame net. Right. They didn't even really weld it. I don't know if you ever saw the way they did that. I didn't see an added piece of frame and they put this... Um, they put the bonding like they, they used to make a lot of yeah. cars now. Yeah, yeah. And basically you just squish it up into it and wipe out the excess and let it harden and dry. It's basically an epoxy. Oh, okay. Well, Amazing. yeah, that was it. So, and then 5B. Part's been special. I saw this bike and it actually made me want to build and it made me want to get back into customizing and building bikes again. It is the Radical Ducati 9.5. If you haven't seen this bike, go do, go Google nine and a half. It's the white, the red tail end, 
It's a 900 monster frame with an ST2 motor in it and 916 rear swing arm and suspension. And it's all 916R suspension and front forks and some wheels and everything else. It's a parts bin special. It's one of those things where if you throw a whole bunch of stuff in a wall and hopefully it sticks, it doesn't usually work. That bike is utterly gorgeous. And it looks, it's one of those, and it's built by a Spanish company. It's not Italian or anything else. Radical was out of Spain. Isn't that the one that has the, the tiny little twin headlight? No, it's a single headlight. It's a tiny little single MV. You've seen this bike. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You've seen that I'm bike. I'm looking at a picture of it now, and I know exactly. Yeah. It's one of those bikes that you walk up, and if, if you put it, if you put like a motorcycle to the analogy of a woman, it's the girl next door that gives you a wink and like invites you shy, like, quote unquote shyly to come over and play. And it's one of those where if we get to the point where you're on the track and you would be trying your hardest and the bike would go, is that all you really got? You pansy. <laughs> come on. Let's and it's one of those bikes you can get on a track day, you can just get down and dirty and just throw it around and it would take everything you threw at it and laugh. So it's just it's gorgeous and it's one of those things where you look it's one of those like you would ride it and you would go, I just want to ride for the rest of my life and never get off. So anyway, that's my top five. I'm going to throw on something here. Okay. Um, first of all, I want to just call out that there was two Ducatis on um, Daniel's list. <clears throat> and notice how yeah. I said that... But wait a minute, there may have been two on my list. Did you have anything other than Ducati on your list? <laughs> okay, okay, try it. The garage one or the... <laughs> anyway... Right. So it, it it's I would agree this is a very hard thing to do. And we you know you also know we down yeah narrow it down to five. It's, we, we started out with ten. Yeah, we started out with ten. So it was a much which, wider, broader range of stuff. And I you can imagine how long this would have taken to oh, actually yeah. have done. Right. Well, I could, they, we wanted to do ten, but I was like, we'd be here till ten thirty, eleven o'clock. No, we're doing five. Right. And then we got a couple of questions from Noble Savage on yep. Twitter. Noble Savage. Noble on Savage on Twitter. Thank you. You are an early adopter. Shout out to yep. you. Thank you so much. Let me go um, ahead and read his questions. Yeah, we'll read the questions out real quick. All right. Let's see. Noble Savage. Uh, first thing he wants to mention was the Africa Twin. I think we covered that. We covered that pretty much. Pretty yeah. good detail We're good on that. Uh, Noble Savage is also a very big ADV rider. Mm-hmm. Um, he was kind of offended in the last uh, episode that we didn't mention any of KTM's adventure bikes. KTM's adventure bikes. Now, they were the 990 was very good oh, yeah. when the 990 the motor, tank. it was a tank, it was heavy, and it did, it, the twin fuel tanks, everything was a great the idea, tour is just like ADV, yeah. It's, yeah, but the thing about the new, the 1290 ADV is, the price point getting into it, yes, as a motorcycle, if you're not, if you're commuting on it, and you're doing distance and everything, and you don't want a, like a heavy bagger, like a wing, or an ultra, or maybe an FJ13 is a little bit more too street for your styling or what you want to do. The K-Team Adventure is in my top three. It's one of those, but the price point, that, this isn't just the, the price point getting on the ADV. The price point of getting into the, any KTMs with the big motor is a very is a very strong pushback for me personally because being... I hate saying it, being the BMW fanboy that I am, you can get into an S1000XR with more power, better suspension, and better, pretty much a little bit better support for less money. And you don't have to throw a whole bunch of stuff at it. Now, the KTM 6, the new big adventure, 
gorgeous bike. It looks it's the only one of the only few pretty adventure bikes out there. It's, and it's improved a lot. It's, since Im- the it's improved though quite a bit since the 990 day. You can ab- be an absolute hooligan on this bike. You can sit there and cruise at 85 to 100 on the interstate and be good. You can sit there and drop the third, give it a little bit of a clutch, and you can ride a wheelie on it for days. It's pretty for an adventure bike. It's very good for an adventure bike. But, again, the price point is what kills me on it. And KTM still haven't figured out how to do 2,500 to 3,500 RPM in the fuel. It's very – it's back and forth. It's really jerky, that, that, this, that, and the other thing. KTM is a brand – they're probably the only people I would trust, other than BMW on the GS side, to be able to do an adventure that will go off-road. And they will go off-road all day long. Yeah. Now, if you're saying price point, uh, let's go back to the 1190. Yeah. I don't have pricing on the current 1290. Uh, 1190 for 14, that was just about sixteen and a half thousand dollars which yeah. Again, compared to a multi-strata, that's... Well, cheap. we'll see. If, but, but, but comparing to a Multistrada owner, isn't going to be. They might do a logging road, but right. they're not going to do hardcore off road. Right. Which you know, the guy with, and I know guys with adventures from nine ninety all the way from twelve ninety. Yeah. I mean, they ride things that you can ride a motorcycle through that. Yeah, it's it's almost do. like the 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 H one Hummer. Right. It's like a GS, a GS and a K Team Adventure, the H one Hummer of the motorcycle. Right. And Multistrada. You can't get there too. on those two bikes. <laughs> you don't need to go. Exactly. <laughs> so, like, yeah, then the Multistrada is either the H2 or... I wouldn't do that to it. I'd say a Trailhawk Cherokee. Okay. Okay. Since we're doing enough. the analogies of the SUV uh, market. Fair enough. So, you know, oh, here we go. 1290 Super Adventure. Uh, MSRP is $20,499. Twenty grand. Yeah. I, that's, that's really steep getting into it. If you have the ability to do that and that's what you want... Go at it. If you're going to ride that thing the way it's intended to, it's going to serve you well. Do it. KTM, you will never go wrong getting a KTM product. It's just the price point jumping into it is the only prohibitive factor for guys like us because it's 20 grand. No, you're going to be spending a lot of money on maintenance. Maintenance and a lot of the accessories, too, because it doesn't really come with a whole lot. And again, you know, the other point is, too, now KTM's dealer network is. Growing it has gotten a lot bigger, months. and it's a lot better. But KTM's not, dealer network's very good now. Yeah, but there still aren't that many of them out there. No. Not like jumping on any of the Japanese brands. You can find a dealership at least one. Oh, yeah. Any, within within 150 miles, you're yeah. going to find a dealer. Yeah, I can think of two KTM dealers in our area, and they're, they're relatively close, but even then, yeah. that's kind of you're different. Three and a half, four hours yeah. late. And but. you've got some that are going to be more just off-road specific. Yeah. It's yeah, finding a kind dealer, of a weird thing for KTM. Finding a dealer that'll actually carry the bike and be able to work on it's a whole other thing. Yeah. So that was the big issue they ran in with the RCA mm-hmm. because you get a bunch of dirt bike guys and they put them on a super bike and they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're looking for. I think the RCA was a beautiful looking bike, very weird looking, beautiful. Oh, but again, yeah, it's one of those things that it's couldn't get over the headlight. Well, the headlight's like fantastic. Head. <laughs> We're actually riding it at night and being able to see whether the headlights great. I've got a friend. I've got a friend that road race road races one still, and he's well, he he was mid level AMA super sport forever, but yeah, he runs under minutes under minute lap time to Tally, from yeah. Talladega. So, but anyway, and he asked Noble Savage asked about the R nine T as well. Yes, he uh, he wanted us to mention the, that R nine T exists, and it, it, we mentioned it earlier. R nine T. As big of a shot in the arm 
for Ducati as the Scrambler was, was a bigger shot in the arm for BMW as opposed to the S1000RR. Because the S1000RR brought the motorsport side of BMW as a brand and as a business to the motorcycling side. Because before the S1000RR came out, the BMW was your dad, your, your grandfather. Was I guess sporty thing they had was like the K1200R. Yeah, the sp- yeah. sporty thing they had was a K1200R and a K1200S, which was a German boost and a German beat game. Now, the naked version of the K1200R, the K1200 is fantastic. I love it. I would have one in a heartbeat. Um, the biggest difference now is the Germans are figuring out how to make a bike look good sitting still. A bike that's a, not so German. It's not it's not really not so much German, so much but German. so much more historical and vintage looking, and still have the modern running gear and the modern amenities to it. And with the new scrambler that's coming, it's going to be a lot easier to get into these two things too now because the price point's going to drop. I'm all I've, as opposed to again me being the track rat, Nate Kern. BMW's top developmental rider here in the States, he's got an R9T that is utterly amazing. He has an R9T that will keep up with 600 on a racetrack. It's insane to me. Carbon fiber wheels, built motor, blah, 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 the other way. But BMW, with the success of the S1000 and the success of the continued success of the GS and of the big touring stuff, now they've gotten to the point where, wait a minute, we need to come up with something that'll put young people on these bikes yep. that have young people interested in it. So they went to Roland Sands and they went and they got the guy that was the designed the S one thousand of said, Hey, make a cool cruiser bike. And they came out with that Project Ninety that was such a huge hit, and then that transferred over to the R nine T. Which that Project Ninety bike was Project Ninety gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And that's and with all of this, that's why you see this crazy uptick of all the old air cooled boxers going up in value. So the whole new popularity of the R9T is fantastic for the BMW as a brand. Yes. Because now it is not the old man bike anymore. I sit here and I look at these pictures. Uh, you know, obviously everybody saw the Cafe Racer concept that yeah. recently came out. And, um, phenomenal looking bike. Um, there have been some a, a lot of scrambler conversions on the BMW. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, what we're doing, like the screen over the headlight. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Back yeah. to the fly screen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, you know, converting over. Uh, you've seen some of the little kind of leather satchel bags on the yeah. back. Um, you put the knobby tires on it. And I'm sitting here. I'm looking at a picture of one. And um, is it the Buffalo Works one or whatever? I'm okay. trying to figure that out. That's it. That is actually that's the um. Is that classified moto book. That is class. I want to say it's classified moto. If you don't know who classified moto is, the biggest. Uh, in your face example is going to be Daryl's bike from The Walking Dead. That was a CD550 that was converted yeah. into the apocalypse style bike. By That's a 750, was I think it was a 550. Okay, they made two of them for the yeah. show. That's uh, why Moto's very cool. They started off, actually, the guy who started wasn't even a motorcycle guy. Yeah, he was an uh, architect or something. Like yeah, that. he actually started selling lamps and stuff that were built from uh, old shops off the of CBs and KZs. Um, he started doing these custom bikes. He just got his own completely wicked style. Yeah. I feel like looking at this thing, and one thing I'm going to touch on is when I look at the Scrambler version of it, um, yeah. it screams Steve McQueen. 
Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. To me, and that's what everybody. That's what all. That's the look everybody's going to go for. Because I mean, when Triumph brought that, brought their new stuff out, they mm-hmm. had David Beckham on that eleven minute video. Yeah, that eleven minute movie, which is a, which is the best idea they've ever had for marketing. Yeah. So, uh, as that picture that that I just showed Daniel here, yeah, shows. I think that the R9T, granted, a little bit more expensive version, obviously. Sure. Um, I think that it's going to have a lot of the styling versus uh, versatility that, as Chris mentioned earlier, the XS has. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just you know, you, if you search the R9T um, on Google or, or whatever your preference may be, um, immediately the pictures that come up, you're going to notice that you're going to see the scramblers, you're going to see the cafe racers, you're going to see uh, almost like a a sport bike twist. You're going to see the nakeds. Um, obviously, the bike's naked itself, but uh, leaning towards that style. And you start to realize just how much stuff you can do with this bike. Um, and though they all kind of have that similar shape, it doesn't look like you've copied the same bike. They look like they all could have been their own bike, sold under a completely different name. Um, you know, BMW honestly could come up with a line of like 20 of these things and name them all something different. They're going to do three. And the cool thing about the whole thing is they designed this bike with modification and stylistic stylistic changes in mind where the whole back end of the bike comes apart on six bolts. The tail section comes off, the, the undertail comes off in four, and the, the seat, the back seat comes off in three. Right. You know, I think all of this really just comes down to, you know, between BMW coming out with the R9C, with Ducati and the Scramblers, um, Triumph kind of ahead of the game again with the uh, the Bonneville series. Uh, Kawasaki is a little too far ahead of the time when they brought out the W650. I don't know if we'll ever see the 800 here in the States. Uh, which is a retro bike uh, based off of one of their original. We might see the next couple of years. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, right. I'm sitting here looking at this. It's the same picture I just yeah. showed you, but... I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this thing, and again, as much of a Ducati fanboy as I am, I mean, that thing looks every bit as good as the Sport Classic Sport oh, yeah. And you can actually get one of those. And I, you and can build that. that. You can build that bike for an extra. Because I mean, a, an ABS equipped R9T, you're looking right at fifteen and a half grand. Right. You can build that bike for an extra three grand. You're not building anything else ever. You know, so again, coming back down to the fact that all these bikes are coming out now, uh, it's kind of a nice shift in the way the industry's been working. Where the way the customers exactly working. just the fact that we're getting back to motorcycles. Yeah. You know? Everyone it, wanted a rocket ship, which again was kind of our own fault. Yeah. But now everyone's actually looking at what a motorcycle really is. A wheel uh, two wheels and a motor. Yeah. And making it their own. Again, Harley's been harping about, you know, making their bike as individual as the riders. Fortunately, just about every Harley all looks kind of the same because they all order out of the same catalog. Yeah, because it's all uh, the same Harley catalog. Yes. Now, and I can say bikes, that because I work for those shops. And so did I. Uh, all the custom bikes that are coming out now, whether it's an old CD360 or it's an R9T. Or a, a Honda Cub, like the just yeah. came out. Yeah, they just did their uh, Firefly. Firefly. You know, just super cool stuff. Yeah, a lot of them are going to be still using the same Cafe Racer seats. Use the same clip-on and follow the same general idea, but everyone's got their own spin to it, and that's really what's kind of cool about it. Yeah, is seeing the individual who built it might not be the individual who owns the bike, but the no. individual who built it. Yeah, you can see their style. I mean, Shinya Kimura, uh, the yard, yard built, stand, stand, yard stands, built. Uh, 
Heck, there's some crazy stuff coming out of the south uh, Southeast Asia. Oh yeah, from Malaysia and Thailand. Oh yeah, of course they get bikes. some weird like that. We well, they get the little those little GN two fifties and everything else. Like the little stuff that they get the same. Yep. But I mean everything that I mean there's some crazy stuff coming out of Colombia and Venezuela mm-hmm. and everything now where you can get a basket case CB three fifty or CB five fifty and get the frame right and detab it and put a different tank and make sure the motor runs right. It might look like a like a turd, but it looks cool and people are riding it and people are into it. So that's the big that's the that's the best thing about the whole custom scene now. We've gotten away from how big of a fat rear tire can we get? How, how much, much chrome of a, can I put how on much it? chrome can I put on it? What goofy thing job <laughs> theme paint job can I put on it? How much rake and trail can I have on it? And it's going to handle like crap. And the crystal, yeah, and all the extra LED lights and everything. Now it's more along the lines of let's make something work. Right. It looks good. Hey, even nowadays, rust <laughs> is cool now. Rust is cool. Yeah. I was just saying, you know, yeah. if you got a bike that got patina. Yeah, it, rat rod stuff. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it, that's part of the appeal. I mean, hell, for the classified moto bike for uh, Daryl, yeah. Walking Dead. It was. They, Purposely aged the bike. Yeah. And it looks awesome. Yeah. I mean, add patina and everything. It's, it's one of those things you can't add. You can add all the parts that you want, and you can add, throw a whole bunch of money at a bike. But, and you can have the best componentry ever. I mean, you can have anything and everything, money, no object. But if you don't have a set thought process and a set design, design and a set thing that you want to go for, you're going to be pissing in the wind. So, but there's that. We've gone off on a tangent. Now, if you have anything you want us to talk about, you just want to call and tell us that we're all idiots, uh, please feel free to do so. Um, you can get us in a couple different ways. You can get on Twitter. It's at Wingman's Garage. Um, tweet something. Just make sure you at, tag us. Yeah, tag us. Um, you can also direct message us on Instagram, again, Wingman's Garage, or even email us. Yeah. Uh, you can email us now at podcast at wingmansgarage.net. Make sure you do .net because .com doesn't work. Yep. Uh, and we'll be more than happy to answer or talk about or reminisce or muse about anything. Anything. Doesn't matter. So give us a call. or a Don't call you. us. No. Do not call me. <laughs> no. I've had no. Daniel's phone number will be Daniel's broadcast later. phone number will not be broadcast. And if it does, <laughs> I'll snap you in half. No. <laughs> Fine hedgehog movie. Hey, we're gonna put his out there. That's what <laughs> you get for not being on the first podcast. Exactly. This guy was actually supposed to be on our first one. Yeah. Anyway, super problems. So again, <laughs> we, we won't go into that one. We thank you for listening. Thank you so much. All of almost two hours, uh, longest episode yet. Even though we only had two. Only had two. So anyway, so we'll see you next week. Uh, this is Chris, the wingman. This is Daniel, the pretty boy. This is Tyler, the hedgehog, the nightwing, whatever you want to call me. He has a first name. He has a first name, but we won't use it. For Wingman's Garage saying, peace out. Good night. Outsies. Outsies? I don't know. What the hell? I don't know.